You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers. The list goes on and on. Today is the power hour, so we'll be taking your calls and answering your questions about engines, maintenance, troubleshooting, modifications, upgrades, you name it. And joining me to help out from Pittsburgh Power, we've got Bruce and Ethan and John. Hey, guys, welcome back. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Kevin. Great Good to, to be have here. You here. Always fun. Yeah, I, I've, I've got a, a couple things I want to talk about, some things I've been seeing in the news, then we'll see what you guys have new going on, and then we'll get some phone calls and questions. Um, John, I know you sent me something over about the hydrogen cell in the uh, Nikola truck. I'll let you talk about that. Um, I don't know if any of you have been following the news on the gliders. It looks like they're going to disappear, although it looks like it's also going to open up a short-term window of opportunity. So here's what it looks like right now. It's always hard to figure out what the government is really doing. I know they were trying to write some of these rules into the highway bill, and that got defeated. But now it looks like the EPA is just going to do it on their own. And the problem with the EPA is seems like they just do whatever the hell they want. You know, with Congress, at least there's voting, and we see what's going on, and you can talk to your representatives. But it didn't work that way, so it looks like the EPA is just basically outlawing gliders. They're They're going to make gliders meet all of the emission standards of new trucks, which virtually eliminates the glider. I mean, there's almost no point in building one anymore. But here's the way they're going to do it. It looks like 2017, manufacturers will still be able to produce a lot of gliders, although they are going to cap the OE, the manufacturer, so Freightliner and Packcar, they're going to say you can't build any more gliders than you did for an average of the years 2010 through 2014. So they are going to limit them somewhat. But then starting on January 1st of 2018, the limit that they're putting then is glider builders can't build any more than 300 gliders in that year. Well, last year, Fitzgerald did about 3,000. So they're going to take a glider builder like Fitzgerald and knock them back to one-tenth of what they were able to build. Harrison built uh, somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000. They'll get cut back to 300. And we've got about three years of that, 2018, 19, and 20. And by 2021, gliders are just gone completely. So it looks like gliders are on their way out. Um, but it looks like there'll be some opportunities for a couple of years for smaller builders to maybe fill in that gap. Um, something else that caught my eye, you know, I've, I've been watching all the trends going on with vehicles, and we're going to talk about electric. Things seem to be moving pretty fast in that direction. But the other thing that's moving way faster than I thought it ever would is autonomic, uh, autonomous vehicles vehicles without drivers. In fact, do you guys know what's going on around you right now in Pittsburgh? This is the the heart of that. CMU started it with their autonomous lab and their robotics lab down there in Lawrenceville. And then Uber came here because there's such a talent pool that's uh, versed in that, shall we say, and built a great big shop right next to them uh, in the Lawrenceville part of town as well. And they've been hiring. I've got People from the racing business that were great mechanics have been hired by Uber. I've got engineer friends that are working for Uber now uh, here. 
so yeah, those vehicles, we see them running around. If you take a ride through what we call our strip district late at night, you'll see uh, some of the autonomous uh, Uber vehicles out being tested right now. They've got a Volvo XC90 that's all set up, and they've got a couple of uh, Ford, uh, not Taurus is the one just below that, the, uh, I forget what it's called, the Fusion, a couple of Ford Fusions that I've seen around. But yeah, that's right here. Um, 10, 12 years ago at our local racetrack, uh, CMU was there with a uh, with a Hummer that was completely autonomous doing laps of the racetrack. So that that's technology has been around here for quite a while. So Pittsburgh is going to be the hub yeah. of it, I believe. Yeah, well, it's it's where Uber is right now rolling out autonomous vehicles for their cab service. They are saying they're going to have vehicle or they're going to have people in them as monitors. They're not sending them out on their own yet, but they're already putting these self-driving vehicles on the road. Uh, they got beat actually by a couple days. Uh, as far as a, a true commercial service, there's a company in Singapore that started a couple days ahead of them running self-driving vehicles as cabs. So it, that that technology is moving faster than I thought it would. I thought it would be another, honestly, I thought it would be another 10 years before we would really see them on the road. And we're seeing them today. So you have to know that there's going to be a market for this in trucking. I mean, it, you can see the first use of it is commercial. You know, they're not going to sell these to individuals. That's not where the market is right now. The market is in some sort of commercial operation, cabs being the first one. But I have to believe trucks are going to come pretty quick, whether it's truly autonomous or whether it's platooning. I think we'll probably get platooning first, although that creates some of its own issues just because of that, the, that'll be the overall yeah, the overall length of the, the unit that you create creates some traffic issues. You know, if you platoon two or three trucks together, you're now talking about taking up a, a space of, you know, 200-plus feet on the road going through intersections and things like that. But I, I think that, you know, the self-driving trucks are closer than I ever thought they were. Even if the hybrids of these technologies, if it could, you know, give a guy an autopilot for a little while or something, much like an airplane, where it can sit there and just let the thing go for a while, or you know, reduce fatigue to some degree, I'm sure that there are going to be versions and bits and pieces of it that make their way into into trucks before we go for full autonomous. But if you think about you know, the potential with this, I could see like corridors of highway that are that are just for autonomous vehicles and so forth. You know, they could, you know, go across the desert. I mean, it could be you could just throw throw a strip of blacktop down and let autonomous vehicles get stuff back and forth. I think you're on the right track. Take, look at, uh, for example, when I was in Ohio and we ran triple trailers only on the turnpike. And you couldn't get off the turnpike at all. You had the lots there where you would pull off, you know, at the exit, break them down, and then you'd have to shuttle them. Um, it was interesting in Richfield, Ohio, the turnpike ramp to get on the turnpike, literally right next door to that ramp was yellow. Yellow had a huge terminal right there. And they could hook up triples in their lot and you would pull out of their lot. And as you were pulling out, you kind of pulled right onto the ramp. And right. believe it or not, the other trucking companies fought against that and made them stop doing it because they were on a public road for like a hundred feet. And the other <laughs> companies said it gives them an unfair advantage and they wouldn't let them do it anymore. But, you know, we ran wow. and they still run triples because it's a controlled road. Same way in Florida, the the Florida Turnpike, we would run double 45-foot trailers, which they weren't legal anywhere else, just on the Turnpike. So I could see platooning being implemented on those kind of roads in the beginning. You don't even have to build a new road. Just take the controlled access roads, and it would be much easier to platoon on that road. That would be much like a railroad, you know, land train, basically. Yeah. With with one guy running Yeah. It. Exactly. Yeah. You, you the big carriers have to be chomping parts. at the bit. So just think yeah. of the big yeah, carriers. This could I happen. Mean, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, when you think about it, UPS and FedEx tend to lead these kind of technologies as well. So might 
keep an eye out for those. But, you know, thinking about all the possibilities, not just necessarily a truck driving from point A to point B all by itself with nobody in it. I don't see that happening soon. But like you said, a, an autopilot kind of thing where, you know, you can get up and go back and, you know, eat or work out or rest or whatever. I think we're a lot closer to that than what I thought before. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm kind of, I'm really glad so that it's here think- in Pittsburgh and not, not in Silicon Valley. That, that impresses me and says a lot about our town. This is a really neat place to be right now. Absolutely. You know, Pittsburgh's been the start of a lot of uh, a lot of things commercially when you look at it. Uh, pretty interesting place. Hey, there's the music. Let me get to a break. We'll come back. Um, you guys, uh, let's cover uh, the hydrogen cell. I, this story just gets weirder all the time. I don't know. We'll see uh, what you think, John, when you get back. Stick around. We'll be right back. Kevin Robbins. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power. So, John, you know, I I don't think that they could possibly build and sell this vehicle for anywhere near $300,000. Absolutely not. They're they're selling vaporware right now, which is really disturbing to me. You know, we work hard and earn our way into things that we do here and would like to build something that's reasonable. And, you know, I refuse to take the path that they have and try and sell things that we haven't made yet. So it, it's, you know, I look, I saw the thing about switching to hydrogen. I'm like, okay, it's bad enough that they were going to go to natural gas stations that don't exist, but, you know, at least you, there's potential for that. It, the uh, hydrogen filling stations, though, that's not going to happen anytime, probably in our lifetime. It just isn't. The the hydrogen thing is too dangerous. There's a whole, there are a whole lot of things wrong with hydrogen as, as a fuel. And uh, it just blew me away. I saw that press release. I'm like, oh no! I said, Kevin will get a kick out of this. I had to, I had to text you about that. I saw it last week actually, but I thought of it again this morning. What I can't understand is why anybody is taking this company seriously. I don't get it. Maybe they're not. So they, they're going to roll the truck out on December 1st in Salt Lake, and I think that uh, we ought to be there just just to see, just just for the fun of it. I'm dying dying to see what it looks like. We haven't seen anything but a. Uh, a SolidWorks drawing of it yet, so there's not been a real part shown anywhere. If you go to their website, their little right. dune buggy that they built looks like they've actually built one of those, but I could build one of those in my garage. <laughs> so I missed that part. When are they supposed to unveil this? December 1st in Salt Lake City. So I, I think it should be a date. Oh, you, so you don't have to ask me twice to oh, go to absolutely. Salt Lake in December. I'll have my skis with me. Yeah, Salt Lake's not a bad trip for me. It's uh, We can run over there in the RV. I think we'll plan on that. That should be fun. I think we should all be there just for the fun of it. That'll work. So, but, uh, Sounds great. So, go ahead. Well, we had some uh, cool stuff happen in the shop uh, last week and into this weekend. We've uh, finally successfully tuned a DD-15. So through Ooh. some of our... Uh, friends out there in the world we were able to come up with some files and some of the things that we needed to, to be able to do that. And uh, Leroy and I were here till about 1 a.m. on Thursday night, and I actually bailed on him on Friday night, but he was here till about 12.30. And then we met up here again at 11 o'clock on Saturday because we told the customer who loaned us his truck to play with and be a guinea pig that he could pick it up on Saturday, and he actually had a load lined up for it, so we were under the gun. But we were here again from 11 to 5 on Saturday. 
And we've got some really, really good results. It took a little while to get to the numbers that we were looking for. Uh, we got to them pretty early, but it was with uh, detriment of smoke, which we spent a lot of time eliminating afterwards. And now, now I'm really confident in what we've got there. So we've got a DD-15 that puts 608 horsepower to the ground and makes about 1,930 pound-feet of torque and runs like a sports car. It's unbelievable. So the uh, owner called me this morning and said that it puts a smile on his face every time he goes up a hill. He's really liking it. He'll, he'll do a few oh, mileage check for him. He's running all weekend. He, he left here and went to work. So he worked the whole holiday weekend, and he says he's about to fill up again. And he said after the next okay. tank, he'll give me a report on fuel mileage. But, uh, yeah, awesome. so we've uh, – because we put I, in the work said, on that one. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, so we put in the work on yeah, that I'll one, so now we've got at least a good baseline. I'm sure Excellent. that we'll uh, we'll be tweaking on that tune a little bit in the future, but it's uh, it's really close now. Well, that's interesting because I had somebody call me and ask me. They they absolutely are sold. They're going to buy an emission truck. They run California. They said, if you had to buy an emission truck, what engine would you choose? And for me, I've, I've been saying this for a couple of years, I really like the DD-15. I like the fact that it's one of those engines that was designed and built after we knew what all the requirements were. Every other engine really on the, the, the PEC RMX is the same way. But every other engine is just an older generation engine that we keep adding on to and trying to modify to meet the requirements. The PECCAR and the, and the DD-15 were designed after we knew what the requirements were. So the DD-15 has performed pretty well. When it runs good, it really runs good. It gets great fuel economy. And knowing that you guys could tune it, and, and during the call I said, before you buy an engine, Whatever engine it's going to be, talk to Pittsburgh Power. See what they have available. And I said, you have to call them because they are literally developing this stuff every day. You know, I get an update once a week, but you guys are doing this over the weekend. My God, you're up at, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning working on this stuff. Um, but that's exciting. I, I've got a, a, an assignment for you. Maybe you already know this. What, what is the difference between the DD-13 and the DD-15? I'm not sure about that. I believe it's the same uh, architecture, exactly. The beauty of that engine is, you, you mentioned about the purpose-built uh, emissions engines. These came from Europe where they had the real stringent standards before we did. So they've already learned to deal with the soot and the oil and so forth. I mean, that engine's got a built-in bypass filter already. Not that we don't want us to hang an OPS on right. it, too, but there's already one there. I mean, they've already got the bypass filter. They've already got the fuel system. is just incredible. The uh, the filtration system on the fuel and, and the fuel delivery. So everything on that, and that engine's got its roots in a Mercedes-Benz thing called an OM473, which in Europe makes over 600 horsepower. So it's a it's a styled engine to begin with, and uh, they've really got it down. And likewise with the pack car, you'll see the, uh, the oil uh, filtration system and the component that they put on the side of the engine with the filters, and it's got a dual, it's got a bypass built into it as well. So They've done things to deal with the the problems, you know, associated with the emission systems, you know, from the get go, from the from the drawing board. So, and that does make a difference. It really does. And and Cummins is catching up now too, though they did have to hang all that stuff on the ISX, the new X15, and some of the announcements they're making on. They've really made big uh, strides with their emission systems as well. There's really not a whole lot to be afraid of. I mean, the the glider kit thing is bad news, but you're not. We're not fighting the devil we once were. So it's there's there's almost no real reason. Uh, we've got a customer, one of our high mileage or high fuel mileage guys, who put together a glider and a Kenworth T660 with a Detroit, and it had the wrong pistons in it. And we had to go to high compression pistons, and we had a whole bunch of work to do to it to get to where a, a DD15 would have been out of the box. <laughs> so it's uh, you know it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I don't believe. And this is a whole lot dirtier. I mean, it, it, there's no two ways about it. The thing's dirty, but um, yeah, yeah and, and I've been saying for a decade, we will overcome these problems. I'm, I'm convinced. We went through it with cars. We had a horrible decade with cars because of emissions, and then we fixed it. And today's car engines are absolutely amazing. And I think we're really close. In fact, I think we're there now. You guys are figuring out how to keep these things running right, how to tune them better, how to get more performance, more fuel economy. Um, so I think the timing – it's actually pretty good. We have a couple more years to build gliders if you want to. And 
we're really kind of breaking through and learning how to to make these engines run right. And the reason I asked about the DD13, one of the reasons all the engines got bigger is they said it was easier to solve some of the emission problems on a bigger engine than a smaller engine. The 12.7 went to a 14-liter. You know, a lot of the others went to 15-liter blocks. I think now that we have some of the problems solved, I like the idea of the 13. It doesn't the MX engine come in a 12-liter? 11. Right, it's an 11, 11 and a 13. Yeah. They've got a 13-liter and an 11-liter, yeah. It's an 11, MX-11 and, yeah, MX, so and the MX-13. Yeah, that's what it is. So with, with your tuning, and, you know, we could take the 11 and 12-liter engines and probably still get a really healthy 500 horsepower out of them and plenty of torque. They're lighter, they're smaller. I, I think we could start looking at some of those smaller displacement engines again. Yeah, Kevin, the uh, DD-13 is a 12.8 liter, where the DD-15 is a 14.8. Yeah. Okay. That's the difference between the two. Is it the same architecture? Is it the same block and everything? It looks very similar. Yeah. It's got to be a fairly light engine. They use a whole lot of aluminum on that thing. It weighs yeah. 2487 pounds, the DD-13. Wow. And the DD-15 okay. weighs 2800. Okay, so... Within 120 pounds, there. Pretty significant. Yeah. So yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's physically large, though. There's a lot of space inside of it, but that's okay. It's. I think it's a pretty good looking engine. Yeah. A lot of people don't like it. I, I sort of like the high tech look of it. It's a, it's a neat piece. On our end, we have to we have to fine tune. We have to look for areas where the manufacturers may have had to cut a buck or two and try to keep our eyes open to that. I've actually made some progress on my soot trap. I wanted to have that done for the Dallas show, and I wasn't able to. But I got to spend a little time in front of my TIG welder this weekend, and uh, I've got some pieces of that made up yet. So I should be testing that thing sometime within the next few weeks. So that's something that I think that uh, if I get it right, every EGR truck on the road should have one on it. So we'll see if we could, could pull that off. But uh, it's uh, it looks like it's going to work. I've got a little test rig set up for it. I'm going to use a little diesel generator that I can make run really dirty to, to blow exhaust through. And I've actually lifted the... Uh, the Delta P sensor off of uh, an ISX here, uh, one that we had laying around, that I'm going to use to match the flow that the engine would use so I could get the exact same amount of exhaust flow through and let's see what we catch. So that's, uh, you know, things like that. But we're going to have to keep our eyes open and look at new product and new, you know, areas where, you know, it seems logical that they had to cut a corner or two to save a buck. And, you know, with their manufacturing and time constraints and financial constraints that we could uh, we could improve upon. And, and you and I know those always exist. They're there. We just got to find them. That's our job. There you go. All right. We're going to get to a break. When we come back, we're getting right to your calls and questions. Stick around. We've got more stuff. Kevin Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and John and Ethan with me, and we're going to get to your phone calls. We're going to start off in Tennessee. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. Um, the C16-600 Caterpillar, the 7CZ, that's what the serial numbers start with, what year did that engine come out? I thought it was 98. Is that right? Uh, if I had to take a guess, I would say it would be late 98, 99, right in around there, because that's when they made the change to the 70-pin uh, ECM. Uh, Ethan, you, are you familiar with that? 
Uh, I know the engine serial number. I do not know the exact date that it came out. He's looking it up on the interwebs right now. Oh, it's tempting too, yeah. Because I, I found an old older truck, but someone must have repaired it because it, it's a 96 Freightliner, but it's got the C16-600 in it. Yeah, but that, it's, that uh, engine was not available in 96. We can rest yeah, assured on that. Because... He's asking pretty good money for it, but his price has come down, so I know he's negotiable. Uh, What's the price? It says, well, it's a truck and trailer, car carrier, the whole rig. He, he started at 49, now he's down to 36 for the whole thing. But Is it in nice a, shape? I, and are you going to haul cars? Yep. It's, it's a California truck, it's not rusty. Which is the biggest thing right there? It yeah. didn't operate the rust belt, so. But uh, I, I was thinking about getting it just for the engine, really. Run it for a while. Wow. It's, it's only got. He says it's got 1.4 million miles on it. I don't know if it's been rebuilt though. Well, if it hasn't been rebuilt, you're going to have to do it in the chassis at 1.4 million pretty soon. Well, chances yep. are it's already been done. If you're buying it, if you're going to pay 36000 and you're not going to use the rig as it is, I would not do that. If you're going to use it as a sure. car hauler, then, then I don't have a problem with that being it's a, a sure, rust-free machine. That's what I do is full power, so. yeah. Okay. Then 36000 sounds like a good deal to me because yeah, well, the, look what it takes. You can put $50,000 into a used truck really quick. It's a 36. If it's clean and it's running and it's perfect and you can go to work with it, that's a good deal. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like it came out in 1998 there because I found a spec sheet that's beginning in 1999 for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, All right. that's, see, that's, that's also that's, when they went to the 2WS and then the 6NZ followed that. Yep. All right, good stuff. We're going to head off to Georgia. Chad, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, I appreciate uh, taking my call, sir. What's on your mind today? Hello. Well, kind of going to give you a little bit of a background to bring you up to where I'm at. Um, bought an 01 Classic earlier this year. Got a 60 Series Detroit, Super 10. Was chasing a vibration for a while. And uh, just recently, I'd say in the last month, uh, my clutch quit working, so I thought I needed to change out the clutch brake. Got to check the clutch brake, and it's fine. But about the same time, I started noticing at highway speed only, and only in 10th gear, this, I want to say grinding, uh, howling sound, whenever it decelerates, Right at the end, when I start to accelerate, I was coming out of the top of a hill, and I ease off the fuel a little bit. It feels like a, a grinding or a howling coming around my transmission. And then if I accelerate, it'll do it for a short period, and then it just evens out and goes away. And I don't understand. I was just wanting to kind of find out what you guys thought about that. Um, Okay. Is there something to worry about? Is it a clutch issue or a transmission issue? First of all, seeing the trucks of 2001, have you changed the torsional damper on the front of the crankshaft? I have not, sir. I, I bought it earlier this year, and if, if that was done, I'm not aware of it. Well, you need to give us a call and put the damper and the balancer on. That's number one. Number two, okay. I would being it's a 2001 i would pull the transmission out of it i'd take the drive okay. shaft to a drive shaft shop and have that redone you'll have about 11 or 1200 dollars in having it straightened balanced and new universal joints the slider and the carrier bearing and then i would okay. take the transmission to a good transmission rebuilder and have them put bearings and seals in it and go through it and replace the gears that are bad Okay, so you're thinking it is a transmission issue then? Well, first of all, the most economical and the easiest to do is put the damper and a balancer on because we've had a lot of people call into the radio show 
they had noises coming from their bell housing. Put the damper and a balancer on, and the noises are gone. So that's the really? place to start. Yes. What is that? And what does damper, that usually cost? The dampers are around three hundred and forty-eight, and the balancer's two twenty-five, and you can change it in your driveway if you have a torque wrench. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. If that's not it, that's move on to start. step two. Step two would be yank the transmission, and while it's out, always, anytime you have a transmission out, take the drive shaft to a drive shaft repair facility, one that you know. Western Truck Parts in Henderson, Colorado have a great shop. They're the ones that told me a drive shaft's only good for a half a million miles. I've had okay. two bend so far in Dodge Cummins pickups. Okay. So it's All something right. that needs to be done. And noises can transfer. And you might think that noise is coming from that transmission. It could be coming from the differential, travels up the drive shaft into the transmission. But with this kind of miles and this many years, it may have never been done. So you might as well do it. And chances are, if you catch it before, you can spend about $3,000 and have that transmission rebuilt. Right. And I know that stuff probably hasn't been done. I know that the, the engine was overhauled right when I bought it by Detroit, but I don't know if but they Detroit, changed that damper or not. Yeah, Detroit does not change dampers. Caterpillar does not change dampers. Now, if they reman the engine, they put a new damper on. When they do in chassis, they do not. Okay. Okay. All righty. Well, I appreciate it, guys. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. We're going to head Thank off you. to Iowa. Joe, welcome to the program. Good afternoon. My question about these glider kits were, I've got uh, two of the Fitzgeralds right now, and I want to buy a third one. Are they going to make me, are they going to retroactively make me update the emissions on these trucks? I'm going to say no, and here's why. I mean, we just have to look at past history. The The U.S. government, the EPA, has has done very little about retroactively making things happen. Like, really, all they've done is change some of the ECM tuning, some of the low knock settings, but that was so minor, most people didn't even know it was happening. To To... You know, when you look at what a mess CARB has made of California, and they're being sued by everybody, and they can't enforce the rules they're trying. CARB is the only entity that's making any kind of emissions retroactive, and it's a disaster. There's been no talk anywhere in the federal government, in the EPA, about making anything retroactive. Their belief is you make the emissions strong, and you keep changing them, and eventually you get all the older trucks off the road anyway. If they were to, they wouldn't be able to target gliders. They would have to target all older trucks. They would have to say any truck with a, let's say, a, a 98 emissions engine has to be upgraded. Well, if they did that, they would decimate the trucking industry. I mean, the industry can't possibly afford to do that. Um, the parts aren't in place. Nothing would be in place to try to do this. So I'm going to say, I don't have a crystal ball, but I can't see. There's nothing in the works. The EPA has their standards set for a decade already. California has their standards set for a decade. Nobody else is really doing anything other than following suit, and there's nothing in the rules anywhere that that looks like that's going to happen. Yeah, that's, you know, that's just was my concern that, uh, uh, and it didn't make sense to me because I read one of these articles that they were worried about a rush on truck sales and uh, um, it didn't make any sense that why anybody would want to rush out and get it if it had to be updated. But with one of those rules it was talking about, it had to be updated to the year year of manual. Now, that, that is not a retrofit. So, I mean, even if you look at their rule getting rid of gliders, they're giving us four years head start on that. If they even started talking about retrofitting, it would be many years out. And I, I just don't see it happening. We're going to get to a break. We're going to come back and get to more of your calls and questions right after this. Stick around. This is the Power Hour. 
right, a quick heads up. We're heading into the final segment of the Power Hour. Afterwards, we're going to do an hour of general questions. And we have a lot of callers on the line right now. Calls are heavy, but questions are light. So if you want to jump in the second hour with a question about anything at all, question, a comment, a topic, go ahead and press 1 on your phone right now, and we'll start screening those for the next hour. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power, and we're taking your calls and answering your questions. We are going to head off to we're going to Florida this time. Al, welcome to the program. You looking for Al? Al Yep. Al, it's your turn. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Bad connection, I guess. Um, hi. I have, you know, you gave me some good news here and maybe a question. Uh, just bought a 13 uh, Cascadia with a DD-15 and was looking for a tune, and it sounds like you can have one. Yes, we do. When is that going to be available? Uh, if you bring it to the shop, it's not. We're, we're not able to do this one mobily yet, and I don't know if we will be anytime soon. But uh, we could do it right now if you wanted to schedule a time. Oh, all right. Um, the other thing that you had mentioned was uh, the DD15 has oil filtration already. <laughs> I just uh, purchased one from Kevin online there and uh, purchased an OPS system. Is that not necessary, or? Oh, it helps. More filtration is always better. It does, but it does have that second filter in that big housing. There is actually a, a bypass filter on its own, but uh, more filtration is always good. Yeah, kind right, of like I've been saying that since you, the you could have your belt and suspenders out. there. Yeah, that's right. The, that, that's why the DD15 has a fifty thousand mile oil change interval and keeps the oil pretty clean for 50,000 miles. But we have hundreds of those engines with OPSs on them, and the oil stays amazingly clean for a very long time. So I, I think it's worth it. John, doesn't the uh, doesn't the MX engine have some bypass filtration standard on it as well? It's almost identical unit that is on the DD-15. The two of them, if you didn't okay. know the difference, would uh, you'd think they were the same piece. Yeah, the oil control. I forget what they call the oil oil unit. They, they, there's a name for it. I forget what it is, but it's a bolts to the side of the engine. It's probably made by the same subcontractor. But, Kevin, with the uh, OPS, I'm not sure. I'm not as well versed uh, with OPS as you guys are. Would it be worthwhile on these engines that have already got a bypass filter built, built in to go to even a finer micron uh, filter on the OPS You know, do yet another stage that's absolutely finer than the bypass filter on the engine? Uh, that'd be interesting. The OPS filters down to about three microns. Um, I heard some talk and I just was never able to verify this or not. I, I don't remember who I was talking to, whether it was an oil engineer, might've been an oil engineer. Cause I've worked with a lot of those guys from the oil companies. Somebody told me if you got down under a micron, there are some additives that could be filtered out. I was just never we'll able to verify whether that was true or not. Yeah. Yeah. So there might be a point that you don't want to filter so far, you would start taking beneficial stuff out of the oil. That makes sense. Well, I can tell you years uh, ago in meetings, Kevin? Go ahead, Bruce. Years ago at meetings at the Cummins Engine Plant, we have conversations about the clearance between a rod and a main bearing when the truck was going uphill, and it was as small as one half of a micron. So keep in mind. That's why I love bypass oil filtration. And, and, you know, back to having, even if the engine comes with it, the 444 Cummins came with a bypass filter on it, and we still sometimes put two more, bypass filters on it because it was a a very high 
parts per million on iron in 10,000 miles, it would run 54 parts per million. We got that down to 12 and 18 by putting on a regular one to three micron bypass filter OPS. We didn't have the OPS at the time and the spinner right. too. So there were, there you go. We had four oil filters on that engine. And guess what? On my brother's truck set at 700 horse, 1.3 million miles. And we never wore that 444 out. Well, you know, I like, I, I just don't think you can keep oil too clean. Bruce, I think it was you. Didn't you tell me about one of the factories, and I, it might have been Cummins, they had an engine set up so that there was always fresh oil running through it. It was like always now new I, oil. And Was that you? I told, I told you the story. I was at an oil and oil filtration seminar years ago, and the engineer giving the talk said, Regardless of what engine you take and what it uses for fuel, if you put it in an oil refinery and you took pan off and fresh oil came through and only went through the engine one time, it would run 24-7 indefinitely and never wear out because an engine wears out from its own dirt. That, that's what I remembered. So knowing that, the idea of you know getting oil too clean or too much filtration just doesn't make any sense. The cleaner we could keep this oil, the better off we're going to be. So I, I love the fact that the MX and the DD15 have some bypass filtration. Adding the OPS is still a huge improvement on those engines. What we see is the the payback isn't quite as fast because you know a lot of our numbers we use payback numbers based on changing your oil every 15,000 miles with the OPS you don't have to well the DD15 or the MX it's a 50,000 mile oil change so takes a little bit longer to break even but there's still tremendous benefits to having it on Kevin bypass filtration is cheap compared to rebuilding an yeah. engine yeah good point Let's uh, let's squeeze a couple more calls in. Let's go to Minnesota. Brian, welcome to the program. Yes, hello there. Uh, question is, uh, newer Kenworth, uh, what engine and like what year, or and then if you know anything about the Packard Premier warranty, like well, what engine do you prefer? I personally would buy the ISX because we know more about that uh, as opposed to the Packard engine. But we did visit the plant, and John will tell you more about the Packard engine. But personally, I would buy the ISX because I still know a lot of people at the Cummins factory if I had problems with it. So, John, do you want to mention about the Packard? I'm with you on the choosing the ISX right now, just out of familiarity, as, as Bruce said there. But... I wouldn't steer away from the pack car, and there seem to be some pretty good deals on them. And they're aggressive about we're we're one of the first shops that they've approved to be a service. Uh, I won't say a service center, but we've got access to all the all the manuals and parts lists and everything, and we're able to buy. So we're we're able to work on the pack car. Uh, one of our guys we need to start sending to school for pack car right now. So I would not hesitate if you're buying a slightly used truck. I wouldn't I wouldn't hesitate. I was very impressed with what I saw there at the plant. They seem to be very proactive. They're, uh, they realize they've had issues in the past that they need to overcome, and they seem to be trying extra hard to do that. And I know the engine's uh, incredibly smooth and quiet, and people I've talked to who have them don't have any issues at all right now with the newer ones. Now, there were some problematic ones early on, but that seems to have worked itself out. So I wouldn't hesitate away from that. If you find a nice deal on a truck with a pack or go with it, I'd probably just – Again, because we're more familiar, if I, I would seek out a an ISX, and again, you know, it gets to be what you want to spend on it and so forth. But uh, either one of them, I would I wouldn't stay away from either one. I'd, I'd be, you know, a new Kenworth T660 or something with a uh, pack car, and it would not frighten me a bit. The Def Fluid for sure, like 2011 or 2012 or 13 or. Yeah, they've got those systems working really well. And if you buy any uh, Packard product, the, the Packard engine uses the Cummins after-treatment system, so it's all the same parts. So as long as the, the from the standpoint of that stuff, uh, you're 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 not farther ahead with one or the other. They've actually got all the same systems on them. The uh, after-treatment system on the Packard is is actually made from Cummins parts. So they they've shared that technology and they use that stuff together. 
which is, I think, why Cummins was able to step up their game on a little bit. Uh, Packard brought the stuff from Europe, and those they're the designs that they're using now. But they work pretty fine. They work fine. I wouldn't I wouldn't shy away from it at all. I really wouldn't bother me a bit. And we yeah. can work with it. We can uh, we can tune those trucks. We know how to diagnose those trucks. We know the common problems. We've got a maintenance program for them that that have those just as reliable as the pre-emission engines now. John, I think what you just said there is the key because I did a bunch of research on the MX engine in Europe. I talked to talked to people who were involved and drove trucks over in Europe. They had nothing but amazing things to say about that engine. They said, we don't have maintenance problems. It gets amazing fuel economy, runs forever. And I thought, what the hell is the difference then? Why when they brought it over here? And I think what you just said is the key. It's the maintenance and the troubleshooting knowledge. They've been doing it a long time. They have shops and technicians that know how to keep it running, right? Troubleshoot it, fix it. And that's what you guys are doing. You guys are figuring right. out how to troubleshoot something goes wrong and how to maintain them to keep them running properly. And once you do that, we do start to find out that the engines are just really amazing pieces of technology. So I think that's really the key. It's not that there's anything different about the MX engine over here. It's that we don't have all the people who know how to troubleshoot and maintain it and uh, that's what you guys are doing. So it, it, it's really, really encouraging to see uh, all the advances you guys are making over there on a lot of these new engines. I'm excited to get about new trucks. That should be fun. All right, there's the music, though. That means I've got to get out of here. We will see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always the hard work and master the journey. All right, everybody, I uh, I know I said we were going to do a second hour, but as I was standing here doing the first hour, I was getting hotter and hotter and hotter. We're in the uh, New Mexico sun, and the air conditioner is not working right now in the coach. I've, I'm hoping I just popped a couple breakers on the uh, generator because we had all three air conditioners running. But uh, I'm sweating, and I'm not going to do another hour uh, without going out to figure out what's wrong with this thing. So, Thanks for joining us today, and we will see you back here uh, tomorrow. I guess I am going to do an oil sample, though, uh, just off the air because we called him, and I have everything here. So, uh, Matthew, are you with me? Yes, sir. All right. So let me get to this oil sample, and we'll take a look at this. I got it right here. So tell me a little bit about uh, this sample. What year is this? 2016 car. Yeah, Cummins ISX 15. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to read this sample. It's not very clear. Um. um I, hold on. Now, there we go. I've got it. Um, holy cow. Are you using uh, Are you using Lucas? I'm not. Um, I don't know anything too much about that. That was the first oil sample I've done with it. Okay. So, I just noticed something. Like I said, the sample wasn't very clear. Um, I'm not being a jerk, but this sample's worthless. It's a Speedco sample. These are bench top right. units. And I just, I don't ever trust them. We have we have proven these things are inaccurate so many times. We take a, a one of we take oil at the exact same time out of the same engine, do one of these benchtop tests, and then send one off to a lab. And some of the differences are unbelievable. See, here's the problem: because I can't trust that it's right, it virtually becomes meaningless. 
if it's clean and I tell you it's clean and it turns out we have fuel dilution, you could wipe out a set of bearings because we looked at the sample and thought there was no fuel dilution. Um, on the other hand, if it shows a problem and we start chasing the problem, you could spend a whole bunch of money on a problem that doesn't exist. So just because I've seen enough of these samples be inaccurate, I, I won't ever make any recommendations based on one of these samples. Um, I do see the viscosity is crazy high, like well up into the 17s. But again, I, I just can't trust that. You know, if that's the case, I would want to know why. Be a bad reading. I mean, these, these machines aren't very sophisticated. The people running the machines aren't trained very well. We don't know about cleanliness. Hell, the, this reading could be from the last three samples they ran through this machine. I, there's just a lot of problems right. with them. So uh, for me, it, it's using one of these benchtop samples is almost worse than not having a sample at all. So what I would recommend, just, just get a good full-service lab sample done, and then we'll be able to tell a lot. Can I get those done at a dealership? Uh, yeah, I think most, certainly all of the engine shops, like if you go to a Cummins shop, they do oil samples, cat shops do. Um, I would check with truck dealers. You know, you can do it yourself. It's not that difficult. You can buy a kit. You can buy a kit from us, and then you just use a, a vampire tube. You put it right down the fill, suck up some of the oil, put it in a bottle, and you're good. I mean, you, you can do a sample in 10 minutes. Right. Well, that, that's what I plan on doing is getting a sample through you guys when when I can get some uh, funds available. I'm just starting out with this company that I got right now, and... There's a lot of things I want to do, like go to the CDC or, yeah, the CDC with you. And there's a lot of stuff I want to do with um, uh, Pittsburgh Power because I hear you. And I want to see what they can do. So I'm, I'm getting there as far as financial, trying to get stuff from you guys and everything, you know. Well, good. Okay, I, I would I would move the oil sample up to the front of the list. It's thirty bucks, and it can tell us a lot. Whether you do it through us, stop at a dealer, do it. I don't really care, but I, I would get an oil sample done so you do know what. Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.